0: And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week.
1: Well, good morning Sunridge Church. How is everyone this morning? Great. My name is Heather Fretz, and I get to serve you here as the Connections Pastor. For everyone joining us here in our worship center, welcome. And to those of you joining us online on our live stream, we're so glad to have you with us. If you're a guest here today, we're so glad to have you join us in this worship of our Lord and Savior. Um, Every single week we get to use this space to come together as a church family, and we like to turn our hearts and our thoughts towards God in worship by reading a bit of scripture. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read from Psalm 145 verses 1 through 4 this morning. It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now to collectively say together that there is no one like you. We worship you and we praise you because you are the one who created us and loves us and your greatness is beyond our measure. Be here in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
0: Thank you, (laughs) Heaven. when we read that psalm that one generation proclaims your works to another this morning we get to see some of that one generation to the next sharing of God's goodness and his faithfulness and so this morning we thought it would be worthwhile to begin with a song that I sang growing up as a kid and many of you perhaps did an old hymn and so let's do that together it's been special the last several weeks of worship through song and so we asked that that would continue this morning God let's do this together.
2: i Blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spray. I wholly trust in Jesus' name. again. I hope is built on nothing. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest friend.
0: morning Sunridge. This is my friend Mel Graham. Yeah. So if you don't know Mel, you're going to get to know him today. Um, he was our in-touch pastor quite a number of years ago. We're going to tell you that story and I wanted you guys to meet him today and uh, hear his story. We've been talking uh teaching through the book of Acts, which is the story of the church and how it first began. And, you know, there's so much history to the church in general and then to Sunridge as well. And so I want you to get to know him today. He's going to be telling us about how God has worked in his life. So I want you to just uh, take a seat, sit back and enjoy. Let me pray and then uh, we'll move out of the way so they can bring our table up here. God, thank you for gathering your church uh, this morning in this place and then online. And I ask that uh, the things that we talk about today would fill people's hearts, build up their spirit, encourage them, Mm. and that uh, because they've been here that they would know Jesus better Mm. and they would have a greater passion for him and living out um, and reflecting his life in the places that you send us today Mm. in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So let's just stand here, we'll give them a second. You guys just say hello to one another while we're. You can talk. You know, you're allowed to talk to each other in church. Yeah, be friendly. Be friendly right now. Okay,
3: great. Right. Thanks, fellas. Let's see. I got you here, brother. Yep.
0: You can pull that table yep. to you if you That's need
3: what to. What I'm doing. Good.
0: Mel just came from CrossFit, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to his legs are kind of fried after squat day. So
3: uh hey, I do, anyway, do squats, yeah.
0: So. so this is Mel Graham's, like Hi. I told you guys
3: before. And good to see you, good to see everybody. It's sort of emotional for me, I'll have to tell you to be here this morning. Yeah. I uh, had a note from Robin Sitters this morning saying, Wish we were there with you. And, <laughs> I sent the word back, and I said it's going to be an emotional morning. So mm. true.
0: It is for me. I already got choked up, but I hit yeah, it really well, as, oh, a, as I'm good at doing. Yeah, right. So, um, so um, we're just going to start with kind of get-to-know-you, Mel questions. But before we do, I wonder how many of you, like, you you know, Mel. I mean, not like know him as your best friend, but you you, you recognize There's a few, Mel. Yeah. yeah, a few of you. Okay. How many <laughs> of you say I have no idea who that guy is up there? That's okay. Oh. I mean, how many you of you have no idea who I am? <laughs> Do you guys watch television? <laughs> Not from here, huh? Uh, no, yeah. still nothing. Okay. Okay. So, Mel, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about you know, growing up and how you became to be Mel? Grimes, well, you know.
3: Yeah, I grew up in the wonderful state of Wisconsin. I was born in Wisconsin into a Christian family. Uh, And uh, I guess I can tell them how long ago it was, it was 1930, figure that out. Uh, Anyway, um, it was during the Great Depression, so many of you wouldn't know what that is, but uh, there was a difficult time. But my father had a very good job in in a bakery in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin when God touched his heart and called him to ministry. And uh, in those days, it seems like, I don't know if it was good sense or bad sense, but he went to his boss and says, I'm resigning, and I am called to pioneer a church wow. in a town 30 miles away. We had a nice home. We had a new car. We had a lovely home, and suddenly, all changed.
0: Welcome to the ministry. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And he rented a little storefront uh, um, building and moved in a borrowed piano and some Parked benches from the city and started church. Wow. And my memory is this that He had to tell me this because I was a baby, but uh, there was one night we went to church and my mother played the piano and one man showed up one old man showed up and He babysat me and my dad <laughs> did the whole service. They sang they preached they did everything. That's the way he was <laughs> dedicated completely So I grew up in that kind of a home, a a pastor's home. Mm -hmm.
0: And then kind of like, take us through growing up and off you go to college, right, eventually?
3: Being being a pastor's kid isn't always the easiest thing in the world, I don't know (laughs) if you know that. Uh, They all expect you to be perfect, you know, and uh, of course I was pretty close to that. Yeah, I imagine
0: uh, you were, Mel. (laughs) uh, Actually, I do imagine that you were, growing a good
3: kid. My folks, I have to say this as a a basic, that they really love Jesus. Mm. They could be called the original Jesus people in my book. My dad would not let a day go by. Uh, uh, Actually, sometimes he carried it a little far, you know, but he wouldn't let me out of the house in the morning to go to school unless he read something from this book to me and prayed with me to go out the door. Even if I was late, he'd say, wait, you can't go until this, and he did that. And at night, the same thing in our home, always. Mm. And we're always taught the basics of knowing Jesus, loving Him, serving Mm -hmm. Him, yeah.
0: And then you, you know, growing up, you you go off to school, right?
3: Well, yeah. uh, I'm trying to put it all in perspective for you, but uh, yeah, I got uh, finished high school and uh, always had a good time. I I never mixed very well because we were the church across town that was different than any other church in town. Oh, uh, yeah, they called us some names sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Were
0: you affiliated? Was, you, was was that church affiliated with any denomination? Uh,
3: not in the, in the beginning, but later on, uh, we were affiliated with the Assembly of God. Okay. And uh, I've been an Assemblies Assembly of God pastor all my life, uh, through all the years. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, but I wanted to go to college. I didn't want to go to just a plain Bible school, you yeah. know, when... I'm missing part of this I got to get back there just a little bit how Go God called called yeah. me to ministry yeah. uh, being in the pastor's home during the depression days we didn't put visiting ministers in hotels they stayed with the pastor mm-hmm. and we had a couple uh, uh, I can still remember the names later not called Christensens they were from either Sweden or Norway yeah. I don't remember but they were missionaries so East Africa, and uh, they impressed me so greatly. And on a Sunday night service, uh, well, that had them preach and share their story about Africa, and I sat there. I was a teen, beginning teenage years, and suddenly my heart just melted, I'm sitting there. And they closed the service and said, well, anybody that feels God touching their hearts, at least... Do something, so I just know where I was. And I wept my heart out, and that night I said, okay, I'll go to Africa, I'll go to Africa. So then came the schooling, where do yep. you go to school? Well, I wanted to go to a, uh, at least a university, you know. So uh, I went to Bob Jones University. Oh, so you did, way back then. Yeah, way back then, and um, but I only lasted one semester. <laughs> no, you're laughing. I'll... Okay, it's all right. Why? Because it was so legalistic for me that coming from a good, solid home where everything was peaceful, it was like everybody was breathing down my neck and couldn't do anything. And mm-hmm. uh, I said, no, this can't be right. You know, I loved the school, but the legalism was impossible. So when I transferred to and where. Across town from your school.
0: That's right. So we both went to college in the same town,
3: uh, the at same a different year. period, not the same of year. time,
0: <laughs> but not that far apart.
3: And, yeah. So, uh, so
0: I went to Baptist Bible College for one year after state school too, in Springfield, Missouri, and across the town was the that liberal. The girls order. Yeah. You guys had all the pretty girls and the great music because you're. <laughs> And yeah. uh, so we would cruise over there for your concerts and other things.
3: Yeah. So I was there for two and a half years and that's where I met uh, Verna. hmm Yeah.
0: So what, do you remember what year you guys got married? Oh, that's so long ago. <laughs> uh, no, 1951.
3: 1951. So we were married 70 years last August 9th. Hmm. And uh, it's a long time. But I have to tell you that, uh, just interject this here, but uh, the best thing ever happened in my life is when I, I met this lady, and I'll tell you why, and, and it became more clear the longer we lived together. She was totally in love with Jesus. And I would tell people I did a couple of marriage seminars recently in a couple of Baptist churches. One of them was David Mathis' church, who came from this church, mm-hmm. and he's down in Texas close to me. And I told him, I said, "Well, you know what? I was married for seventy years, and my wife left me for another man." And everybody go. <laughs> I said, "Jesus!" <laughs> uh, everybody was happy then. Yeah. Well,
0: so uh, is there a secret to being
3: married that long? Oh man, there is a secret. I better get comfortable. No. No. <laughs> well, I, I wrote down the five things. That just few years ago, in fact, I, I think I wrote this book when I was here in uh, in Sundridge. Uh, just a little booklet it is. It's uh, Five Steps to a Happy Marriage or a Godly Marriage. I can't even remember the, t- the title. I've written, I'm leaving my 19th book right now, so I don't remember all the titles. But uh, this one, l- very simply listed five principles that we put into effect in our lives through 70 years of marriage. Hmm. And I still believe that any couple that will honestly read the principles and say we're going to put them in our lives Hmm. that they can have a loving, peaceful marriage. Here they are, okay? The first thing is that Jesus has to be Lord of the husband and the wife, and together the home is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Not just believing that, but living that. That comes in a process, but you have to be willing to do it. Secondly, you learn how to live, love God's way. You know, love got, it's all screwed up in this society. It really is. But as I read God's word, I see it so clearly that he wants us to learn how to love one another as he loves us, and Jesus says that. What does that mean? That our husband or wife, being whatever the case is, that we treat them... Not only as we want to be treated, but we want what's best for them, taking no thought as to what it will cost us, just like Jesus on the cross. And I don't find that too much in the dealings I, even I have now. It's amazing to me, after, 90, after 70 years of ministry, that I'm getting calls from a lot of the churches where I pastored 30 years ago, 40 years ago, of people who, don't know how to do it yet, mm-hmm. but love is is the key, okay? And then the third thing is learning how to forgive God's way. You, you, can't, you can't be narcissistic in, in this at all. It can't be self-centered. I had learned a long time ago, and Vern, I learned a long time ago, that we're not always going to agree on everything, and not everything is always going to be peace, peaceful, but we have determined in our hearts that whatever, I forgive, regardless. Doesn't matter because I love her, she loves me. So that's the third thing. And the fourth thing is living by God's principles as outlined by the Apostle Paul in his writings. And I don't have to talk to you about that. You know Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, uh, Galatians, it's all there. How to live together in peace and in harmony. And then the last thing that I put in the book is, is that uh, we need to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit who lives in us, to guide us every day of hmm. our lives. It's a sermon. No, it's a, yeah, that okay. was. Did
0: you guys write that down? I didn't give you a note sheet, but man, that was good.
3: Five that of, is five totally of, true. Five of the There's just. Yeah. Five of them. So
0: I want to make a note of that. That <laughs> after the service, I'll be out in the hallway. Mel brought some of his books, not all of them, but okay. um, they're. How much are they? Oh, T- uh, the the
3: big ones are. Uh, normally,
0: they sell for thirty dollars a piece, but normally they don't sell at that price. <laughs> so. <laughs> So yeah, there, most
3: of the time I give them away. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But there's someone in town who pays me twenty bucks for them, so he can give them away.
0: Yeah. What would you, if someone wants a book today, what what would you like for them to donate? Oh,
3: if they don't have any money, they can have them.
0: Yeah. If you're broke, you can just have one. you told me so.
3: It's for the ministry of books. It's it's a ministry that has been growing in the last last couple of years greatly. I, I keep reprinting. Yeah, And uh, we have a ministry in Fort Worth in this women's jail of Fort Worth where my first book has been approved. And uh, just last week before I left, I sent them a hundred more that will last them for a year and they use them Hmm. uh, as teaching teaching material. My heart's desire. There are five of those out there.
0: Okay, so I'll be out there. Okay. Um, Where are we? uh, Well, uh, can you kind of just like Take a bird's eye view of all the ministry that you've done. I know that you felt called originally to Africa, but you made a lot of different, you, you oh, guys have done a lot.
3: I don't know if it was God or me part of the time. You yeah, know. well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not a very, uh, what should I say, person who likes to sit still very long. <laughs> and that's, I've been criticized for that a lot. But I've come to the place where saying, well, you know what? God must have put that in me. Mm. And okay, even though it seemed like I maybe moved too quickly here or there, the bottom line is in every place I see God at work, Mm -hmm. touching hearts and lives. Uh, uh, Well, I started out as a pastoral ministry. And by the way, my daughter and I and uh, her husband made a trip to Wisconsin about two months ago just to see all the places where I lived and grew up and uh, on the way, we went through Missouri, Springfield, and uh, Arden, France, Branson, and, and those areas. And I told them that the first church I ever pastored I started was in the hill country of, of, uh, of uh, Missouri. And uh, they said, well, let's find it. Let's see if we can find it. And uh, We drove and drove, and I thought, you know, maybe I gave them the wrong—you <laughs> know, I've been, been all these years, and I remember the highway. I think Highway 14, I think it was. And I said, let's go Highway 14. And we drove and drove and drove, and I'm starting to get embarrassed, you know. (laughs) All of a sudden, we come down the hill, and there's a bridge and a sign, Beaver Creek. That's it.
4: Mm.
3: It's just the other side of the creek. It's all gone. Mm. I mean, everything has changed. But the memories, and I went looking back at my uh, pictures that I have in my phone and every place else, and I saw... The old schoolhouse where we had church, it was 50, 60 people standing out front, and we baptized people. And hmm. That's how it all started. That's before Burna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we went on from there. Uh, we got married and we pastored a couple of places and then went to Africa.
0: And how long were you in Africa?
3: Oh, we were in Africa three terms, and uh, that depended on, uh, on the country, the climate, and mm-hmm. a lot of things. We went to Liberia, first of all. Huh. Touches my heart when I think about it, but to Verna's dying day, which was eight months ago, just a couple of days ago. But the last things that she said, when anybody would come to visit our house and ask her what was her favorite place in the world, you know what she would say? the jungle of Liberia.
4: Hmm.
3: We had no roads, we had no running water, we had no electricity, we had no stores, we had no nurse, we had no pharmacy, nothing. But she fell in love with those people in that place hmm. all of her life and uh, we lived back there and uh, she wanted. we had one little girl with us at the time and uh, she wanted another little one, which probably wasn't the wisest thing for us to do back in the jungle. And she became violently ill, and uh, I thought I was going to lose her. We flew her out to the coast and got her stabilized, and the doctor said she can't stay here. She's got to go to the States. So that was our first term, 17 months, and we both wept as we left. Mm. I took her back for a visit on our 25th wedding anniversary, and that was key. So from there, we went, went home, got settled, went back to Africa, Liberia, again, only this time in the city. And then halfway through that, they transferred us to Nigeria, to Abaddon. And so we spent the rest of the term mm-hmm. back home again, back to Africa, South Africa, for four years. I was part-time directing the Bible college of the Assemblies of God there. Mm-hmm. And it was a great four years for me. Verna, no, Liberia, no. <laughs> Not there. She's, that's apartheid. I can't handle apartheid. Mm. So it was difficult.
0: Can I just like, so you took Verna on your 25th anniversary to Liberia, to the jungle.
3: Well, you here. Listen, listen to this. Hey, here, yeah. come on. <laughs> listen, I said, I said to her, look, we're having a 25th wedding anniversary. I said, where would you like to go? Uh, Hawaii or Liberia? Instantly, Liberia, Liberia, of course, no, I... so we did. And then after that, I, I other ministries beside that kind of ministry, uh, I, was the, uh, I was asked to be the academic dean of the International Correspondence Institute that had a million members of that time, and boy, that was big, heady stuff for me. I was still in the old system of you've gotta got make it, you gotta to get to the top, and I was, I was working at it. Yeah. And I did that about a year and a half, and I was raising the funds to move to Brussels, Brussels, Belgium, where it's gonna be the center for our ministry. In that interim period while I was traveling, our kids went to a summer camp. They never had that opportunity in Africa, went to a summer camp, and they both had their lives miraculously changed. Came home from camp, different kids. They were into the Word every day, 30 minutes or more. Took their Bibles to school, witnessed the people, had Bible study. And I'm looking at all this, and they, what is this? I said, what's with these kids?
0: Who stole our kids.
3: Yeah, and uh, my daughter was in Bible college, the oldest one. And she came to me one day, and she said, Dad, I want to quit. I said, what do you mean you want to quit? We, we planned this for you. you know, you're going to Bible college. She said, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, what do you want to do? She said, I would like to quit school and move down to the coast in Santa Cruz and work with the hippies. I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I said, no, you can't do that. She said, Why not? I said, Well, they're dangerous and they're dirty, and uh, I had all kinds of things to say. (laughs) And I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me and she said, Dad, I love the hippies. You know what I said? I mean, you're this mighty man of God. I don't.
4: (laughs) Hmm.
3: Well, that was a long story. I can go on forever, but we we can't do that.
0: You know, I was a hippie, so do you love me now?
3: No. Okay. Yeah, but you're cleaned up.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. But, I still want to grow my hair out, but Cindy says yeah, it'll just look order. like a little ring around the <laughs> sides here.
3: Well, well she uh, she went to junior college. I I I sort of compromised with her. I let her go to junior co- college, and uh, and oh, she met a hippie on campus, of course.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, she started witnessing to him, and uh, oh man, and things were happening. And I drove her to school one morning, and. Uh, and there he, there's his old Pontiac, beat-up Pontiac, sitting there and a bearded, dirty-looking dude standing there. And I, she said, oh, there, there's Tom. I looked the other way. <laughs> when she came home at night, she said, you know what Tom said when you left? I said, no. He said, your dad doesn't like me, does he?
4: Mm.
3: And then it hit me. It hit me. If he'd heard me speak in church, he'd have heard a different message. But he he saw my life's message. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
3: And that was the beginning of a big change. There came a big change right after that because I was still getting ready to go to Brussels when one morning my lovely wife, and she's lovely indeed, she walked out of the bedroom and she looked at me and she said, we're not going. I've never heard her speak to me like that. We're not going where? We're not going to Europe. I said, why not? I've been traveling. I've raised all the funds. We're almost ready to move. And she says, because we are not spiritually fit for the task. What did I do? I walked to the phone, and I called my boss and resigned Mm. because I knew that what she said was right. We had to get it together. Yeah. In our life.
0: Mm. Okay. So uh, that
3: really uh, a lot of stuff here.
0: No, it's great. I I know that you know. After that, you served in a lot of different church situations. You were like the interim pastor at a very large church. Yeah, it's you know, a
3: church of about three thousand yeah. people and growing during the interim. Mm-hmm. By the way, yeah. we grew quite a bit.
4: Yeah.
3: In the interim, but everything was out of order in that church. Yeah. Uh, the, Pastor had failed us morally, very greatly, and uh, they turned it over to me to be the interim pastor. And uh, we were $5 million in debt back then. $5 million was a lot more than $5 million is now. And uh, it came to the point where they needed more than me. That's what I figured. Mm -hmm. And then I had some experiences like maybe you've had in your life in pastoral ministry. I was rejected by peers, told that I didn't have a valid testimony any longer, Mm. and that uh, because I stood up and said plainly that we had failed, like someone like some big denomination right now is going through here Mm. in the States, failed to be honest and to confess sin as sin. Instead, we were told that the pastor should confess that he had the sin of pride in his life. Well, don't we all, and, uh, but never mention the major sin. And I said, no, I, I can't go along with that anymore. That's, that's not being honest. We have to be honest, and they, they rejected me because of that. Hmm. And uh, it took three years for reconciliation. Reconciliation came, thank God. But uh, yeah.
0: So that touches on something I wanted to ask you about, Mel. Um, I know that. So, can I say your age?
3: Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, I okay. yeah, exactly.
0: Mel's yeah. 92, yeah. and he has been in ministry since those adolescent years, really. And he has not. Oh, well,
3: 20 years old, yeah.
0: Yeah, he has not stopped. Yeah. And so. What I wanted to ask you about though, is that I know that you're one of of many people that I know in ministry, your heart. I've been around you a lot now, and I know how pure your heart is. And I know you're not a perfect man, you're not Uh a saint, but compared to me, you're perfect. And um, you, I just have admired you my whole life, you know, since I've known you. And yet I know like as faithful as you've been, and as determined as you've been there, you know, it hasn't been without heartache, you know, uh-huh. that rejection in that one ministry situation. Can you talk about some of the things that you and your family have had to face? And, um, I guess how, how God showed up in each one of those or,
3: yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's not only in the ministry, it's just life itself. Uh-huh. You know, I think all of us, uh, I've I looked across this congregation, and I don't know most of you, obviously, from the hands that I saw, but I do know that you you live life, and uh, you face some of the same things that we face. Of course, in the ministry, we face some some very diffi- difficult times. People have expectations that uh, I couldn't always live up to, and uh, the thing that bothered me more than anything else, I suppose, is that people put expectations on my wife, mm. and uh, that was not her ministry. Her ministry was me, and when I, in fact, is one of the churches that I uh, was asked to give a resume for and all, they interviewed me, and they said, well, what does she do? <laughs> I said, that's she classic. takes care of me. That's it. Whatever else she does, that's fine, but that's her life took care of me. But we we faced those kinds of things, you know, and, uh...
0: But you faced personal tragedy, too.
3: Personal tragedy. Our daughter, our youngest daughter, 39 years old, and uh, two children, and uh, hadn't been sick, although she said she hadn't felt good for a long time. I was, during those days, I was pastoring Petaluma, California, and, uh, I would make trips overseas in ministry again and again, like I did in many years. I've made probably 40 or 50 trips overseas for ministry. And I was in Brussels, Belgium on a Sunday morning, preaching at the International Church and getting ready to do a Teen Challenge conference for all of of Europe, I was the main speaker for that. And uh, we had a great Sunday morning service. I was staying with friends from California who are missionaries there. Came home from church and we were eating our lunch when the phone rang and the lady at the house said, Sir Mel I said, what? It's your wife. She said, really? She never calls me when I'm on a trip. She said, I've got to tell you. She said, Karen's in the hospital. I said, what? I just left two days ago. She said, yeah. She said, I don't want to tell you. She said, the doctor just told us that she has 21 days to live. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I I didn't know what to do. I just got there and I was supposed to start speaking Monday night. This was Sunday. And my friends, and we thought about it, and I had an afternoon service in, a, in an Arab church. So I thought, okay, I'll go. With all this on me, I went and preached, and one Arab came to Jesus that, that afternoon. It's great. I came back and I said, what do I do? And I said, you know what? Call the airline and get me a book, ticket. I'm leaving tomorrow. I can't stay here. I gotta be with my family. I went home and I was night and day by her side in the hospital. And we prayed that God would heal her. I believe in healing. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. I don't have any problem with that. But he wasn't answering that prayer. And uh, She lasted 21 days. Hmm. I was down in the prayer room two days before she died. They had a room downstairs where people could sit, and they put a sign on the door, Karen's prayer room. And I went into that prayer room in the middle of the day, and I, I said, Lord, I don't understand. And he very sweetly told me I didn't need to understand, but I needed to trust him. And I said, but, Lord, I'm so alone. Here I am sitting in this room by myself. And he says, I'm here with you. Well, I know that. But that's not enough. Should be, but it wasn't. I said, send somebody to sit with me. And about that time, the door opened. One of the deacons from the church walked in. I'll never forget. And uh, sat down next to me. His name was Steve. Steve sat down next to me his armor on me, and together we cried, and I said, Lord, thank you. That's how he ministered mm-hmm. to us, and, and Werner said, and she'll t- she would tell you if she were here, she would tell you this, that when Karen died, she said, Lord, I don't want to mourn like other people mourn. I want to put your love and grace and mercy forefront in this time. And that's exactly what happened Hmm. all through that period. So, yeah. So that story. And then, of course, the other daughter, as you know, uh, some of you would know, she has SMA, had it all her life. It's just spinal muscular atrophy. And her muscles are deteriorating to the point now this is the only way she can eat. She has a husband that God gave her. It was a gift from God. He takes care of every need that she has. And together they're in ministry. They're... Full-time ministry, she's on the computer, she's on the phone all day long, she talks to Africa every day, and uh, doing doing great, but we've lived with this for, what, she'll be 70 years old this year. God didn't say he would meet all the requests that we bring, What what he did say is, I will always be with you. Yeah. Don't forget that. That's important.
0: And then this year... Well,
3: last year, yeah, Berna began to deteriorate. Here, she got uh, a little dementia, not much, but uh, she just kept saying, "I don't feel good. I don't feel good all the time." And she'd ask me every night, "Can you give me something?" (laughs) I don't know what to give you, you know. And I said, "I don't feel good either." So this, this is how we sort of talked about these things. (laughs) Finally, went to went to a doctor. The doctor says you have failing kidneys, and uh, there's nothing we can do for you. So we said, okay, that's fine. We're she just turned ninety-two, so uh, we can handle this. Lord, we'll just day at a time. And then just let me tell you the final story. On December third last year. Uh, She had been not coming to breakfast. I would bring breakfast to her. She liked her recliner. That's her favorite place. And I I did that. And this morning she said, "Uh, I want to come to breakfast at the table. I said, okay. So she came with her walker, went, sat at the table. I served her breakfast. We got our devotional out. We read the devotions and uh, and, uh, read a little from the scripture. We prayed together and uh, recited the words of one of her favorite songs, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust," one of these songs of the, she loved Jesus so much, and uh, I gave her her vitamins, she took her vitamins, and she went like that. I grabbed her to hold her from falling to the floor. I had my phone there so I could call my daughter next door, and uh, the son-in-law came over, and together we held her while we called for hospice to come. Hospice came uh, in about 30 minutes, and she was still sitting in a chair. Couldn't talk, but she was kissing my arm up and down, up and down. We got her in bed, and the next day was Saturday. Family was there. She was going down. Saturday night, my son-in-law slept in the living room to be with me because we didn't know what was going coming down. And, Sunday morning, I got up and she had been laying like this all night and not moving, and uh, I said to my son-in-law, you know, today's the day. She's not going to make it past today. And he said, you know, I think you're right. So it was a long day. Granddaughters, I some lovely granddaughters, they were with her all the time, just ministering to her and doing what, And, and they said to me, Grandpa, you know what she said? She did say something. What did she say? She said she said two words and said them twice. Here's what she said. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. And it, what it did to me is, I have an idea she was seeing, seeing Jesus at that moment. And that brought such comfort to me. A few hours later, at 8 o'clock Sunday night on December 5th, I said, girls, um, my daughter was there, son-in-law, granddaughters, and the granddaughter in New Zealand was on FaceTime, so she was there. We were all there, and I said, you know, we, I need to talk to Granny, so I talked to her and told her how much we loved her, and that uh, I don't know if she could hear me at all. I just did all these things, and uh, then I said to the girls, you know, you need to put the song on, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," so they got the song out, and we all sang together, and... Uh, and I said, okay, I'm gonna pray. And I prayed for her. And when I said Amen, she coughed up some more of the fluid that was been building in her lungs. And she took one breath. She was gone into the presence of Jesus. And all I can say is, you know, it was, it was a mixed emotional thing. I'm so happy for her that she didn't suffer. But I missed her so terribly. The next morning early, I'm up and I'm sitting in front in the, my recliner next to where she sat, you know, always. And I, I I get onto YouTube, okay? YouTube's great for me. I spend hours on YouTube, but you know, I spend it <laughs> listening to hymns, No, that's what I do. Two hours a night, I'm, I'm listening because God mentioned. But that morning, as I turned it on, It was a Gaither group, some of you know the Gaither, some of you older folks. uh, (laughs) And they were singing this song, does Jesus care? I can't tell you what that did to me. Does Jesus care? The words, uh, just a couple of the words here, I've got them here someplace. Let's see if I can find them. Yeah, The last verse particularly, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye? To the dearest on earth to me, my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief when the days are weary, the long nights weary. I know. I say this. Mm. That's the way it ended eight months ago.
0: Mm. Yes. Thanks for telling us that story, Mel. You
3: know, I know. Uh, yeah. Can I finish up there now?
0: Go ahead. <laughs> yes, you oh, my, can. Oh, my yes, word. no, I'm.
3: I I was thinking a lot about what maybe the Lord would have me to say yeah. here at Sunridge because I remember I was here. One, how many years ago was that? Sorry, six, seven years ago, yeah. when mm-hmm. God really touched and moved on our hearts in the service here. I'll never I'll never forget it. Uh, It's a memory that I cherish, and I was thinking about that and saying, Lord, what would you have me share with these dear folks, my friends, in in Sunridge, and, you know, we're living in a very difficult, difficult day right now in this world. Anybody know that? You know, they call it a COVID pandemic, and, and I've got another name for it. It's a pandemic of fear. We fear so many things right now, and uh, my sister was just telling me this morning or last night that she just read a report on how many young people are committing suicide. It's way high. People are suffering. They don't know what's going to happen next with the economy. They don't know what's going to happen with the government. They don't know what's happening in the church, and they don't know what's happening with the the diseases, And, and it's... a filled with fears, and I thought, yes, I've been subjected to that as well, and I know that everybody here in some measure has been subjected to this, and probably going through it right now. We don't know what's happening with our kids, my grandkids. I've got 17 great-grandkids. What's happening in their lives? What are they facing in, in there's a Difficult, difficult days. And then I thought, you know what? You know what we need? We need a fresh touch of the love of Jesus in our lives. To see all that I've talked about so far this morning leads me to this, to know that Jesus is real. It's not something we just believe in to get a ticket to heaven. Yeah, we get that. That's great. But it's more than that. He's a person, a living person, a loving person who loves us so much. And it occurs to me that even in my own life, I've had to learn how to understand his love to the point where I accept his love in my life so that I know that I'm totally loved. Because so much of the church world still believes that If if we don't do everything perfect, he's not going to love us or he's going to punish us or he's going to do this. That's nonsense. It's not the gospel. The gospel is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, and that every day of our lives and every circumstance of our life Whether you're going through a divorce or been through a divorce or whether your kids are wayward or not wayward or whether you're sick or not sick or whether you're fearful of this or that. In every circumstance, he's loving. He loves us unconditionally. Let me read a little story to you. Can I do that, Brett? Absolutely. You're not going to kick me out?
0: Nope. Can he read it? (laughs) Yeah.
3: This has meant so much to me, and uh, I don't apologize for it. This is a Catholic priest who wrote it, okay? (laughs) Oh, it's interesting. I'm getting some response on that. I'm going to be in a Pentecostal church in a couple of weeks. I don't know if they're going to accept this story or not. I go everywhere, by the way. I preach for the Baptist, uh, even the Baptist. Yeah,
0: even the Baptist. (laughs)
3: This is written by Brennan Manning, some of you may know the writer. One summer in Iowa City, I directed a five-day retreat for a little band of Christians. The small number of participants allowed for an unusual degree of dialogue, sharing and interpersonal communion. One mid-30ish woman in the group was conspicuous by her silence. She was a slender, attractive nun We neither smiled nor sighed, laughed nor cried, reacted, responded, nor communicated with any of us. On the afternoon of the fourth day, I invited each person to share what the Lord had been doing in his or her life the past few days. After a couple of minutes of silence, the uncommunicative nun, whom I shall call Christine, reached for her journal and said, something happened to me yesterday, and I wrote it down. She said, you were speaking, Brennan, on the compassion of Jesus. You developed the two images of husband and lover found in Isaiah 54 and Hosea 2. Then you quoted the words of St. Augustine, Christ is the best husband. At the end of your talk, you prayed that we might experience what you had just shared. You asked us to close our eyes. Almost the moment I did, something happened. In faith, I was transported into a large ballroom filled with people. I was sitting by myself on a wooden chair when a man approached me, took my hand, and led me onto the floor. See, that's where it gets a little sticky for some folks. He held me in his arms and led me in the dance. The tempo of the music increased and we whirled faster and faster. The man's eyes never left my face. His radiant smile covered me with warmth, delight, and a sense of acceptance. Everyone else on the floor stopped dancing and they were staring at us. The beat of the music increased, and we danced round the room in reckless rhythm. I glanced, get this part, I glanced at his hands, and then I knew. Brilliant wounds of a battle long ago, almost like a signature carved in flesh. The music tapered to a slow, lilting melody, and Jesus rocked me back and forth. As the dance ended, he pulled me close to him, and do you know what he whispered to me? Hear this, guys. At this moment, every person in the chapel strained forward, and tears were rolling down Christine's cheeks. A full minute of silence ensued. Though her face was beaming, the tears kept falling, and finally she spoke. Jesus whispered to me, Christine, I'm wild about you. Hmm. And I sang to you this morning, he's wild about you. Britt said on the little note that he put on, that I put on Facebook, by the way, that if I were here, I'm, I'm here, I'll be talking to you about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is He's everything. And I don't know what you might be going through this morning in this place. But I want to tell you this. If you believe in Jesus, believe this. That he loves you with all the love of heaven. And he will never turn you aside. Even if you fail, he will still love you the same as he always had, because he went to the cross, gave himself totally for you. me. Yeah, I'd like to do something a little different again. Can I do, you told me I could do anything. Okay, (laughs) I don't know how to dance, so I can't do that. But uh, I wondered in the closing, just a closing question, How many here would say to me this morning, without talking, but just with a lifted hand, say, you know what? I've been going through some difficult things, and I needed to hear that Jesus cares for me, and I need a special touch from him this morning. Can I see any hands? Oh, yeah. Over here? Oh, yeah. It just occurs to me that, in this moment, this is a a God moment. God's put this together today, but I'm I'm confident of this, this is a God moment. And he wants to touch you in a deep way, even as we close the service. It doesn't mean that much for, for me, whether you respond or not, but we're in the presence of this Jesus. And I'm just going to ask you, I mean, maybe you never do this here. It doesn't matter. But we're here a special time, and you need a touch from Jesus. I wonder, would you stand up and come to the front that Britt, and I can pray for you?
0: Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and
4: follow Jesus.